Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Frank Johnson and Peter Bush. Let's get all up into some movies, y'all. Welcome to The Pestle. Today's episode is sponsored by Meow Meow Beans, the new social media app from Jamie Powell. Find your place in the world on Meow Meow Beans. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going, everyone? I'm Wes. And I'm Todd. This is The Pestle, where we like to dissect, not only review movies, but kind of break it apart and see if we can learn anything about the movie-making process. And ourselves. And ourselves. A little bit. Hmm. How interesting. I think I learned a little bit about myself and about you during Whiplash. No, that's true. That was a really fun discussion. Yeah. If you haven't listened to that episode, either go watch the movie or just go listen to the episode. Yeah. Because apparently some of my friends I was talking to, uh, like Shamari and Gerald and those guys, were telling me that they actually like to listen to this sometimes. Depending on the movie, they will listen to this before going to watch the movie. Weird. Those are weird people. You're weird people. <laughs> You're weird people. Because they like to see what they... Going into the movie to have some insights going in and mm-hmm. seeing if they can pull out anything else. Um, I think I would do that if I if I wasn't expecting much from the film or like wasn't like super excited about the film and I didn't really care. But even then, I don't actually I, w- I would do that. I wouldn't <laughs> still, do, you'd still, I still wouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know you wouldn't. No, because why? Because I hate spoilers uh just to recap in the first episode when we covered wonder woman um we let off the whole show by talking about the way i really feel about spoilers which is i think if you spoil something for someone you're stealing someone's experience yeah they'll never get to have that experience of the shock or the mystery or just figuring it out and then that big twist happens or whatever just an emotional moment comes out of nowhere uh, you don't get to experience that if someone kind of drops the hint ahead of time. Yeah. And that could be something as small as, you know, this particular character was in this, happened to be in this film when it wasn't publicized that they were in that film. And yeah. yeah. And so knowing those things, and I guess this is all to say that today we're doing The Dark Tower. <laughs> so go watch it before, pause this and then go watch it and then come back to this. Absolutely, because we'll be talking about all the in-depth things, and this one specifically is, I don't really know how to give the spoiler on this, because I'm also going to discuss the book a little bit, just the first book. This is a whole series. I think there's seven or eight books. I've read them all. I'm not going to discuss anything beyond the first book, which should have been covered in the movie. And so, in theory, there shouldn't be any spoilers for the book, except if you're a book fan and you want to read this book... You might want to wait on that, too, then, because this is going to be impossible for me to discuss this movie without involving the book just because of the way I I want to discuss adapting. And so today we're going to be discussing that. We're going to be talking about adapting The Gunslinger into The Dark Tower. Uh, the Gunslinger is the name of the book. And we'll also discuss uh, some of the moments of ineffective filmmaking. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll also talk about uh, one of the moments where they do a great job of enhancing the hero. And we'll also have some thoughts from Todd about uh, bad guys and Hmm. specifically this bad guy. But I think that'll probably turn into a conversation of what makes a good bad guy and what are some good ways to to cover that. Yeah, absolutely. And so much more. Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, all right. So just to give you guys, um, again, pause this if you uh, haven't gone and seen it uh, and watch it and then come back to this. But here's a little synopsis of the film. Uh, with the fate of the world at stake, good and evil will collide in the ultimate battle as only Roland can defend the tower from the man in black. It's directed by, and I'm going to butcher your name, Nicolaj Arcel, based on the novels by Stephen King, starring Idris Elba as Roland Deschain, uh, the gunslinger Matthew McConaughey as Randall Flagg, the man in black, Tom Taylor as Jake Chambers, and also starring Jackie Earl Haley, Abby Lee, and Catherine Winnick. It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. He's like the devil, isn't he? No, he's worse. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You let that tower fall, billions of people die. Do they have guns and bullets in your world? You're gonna like Earth a lot. All right, let's go. Nice. Winner. So walking out of this, I looked at you and said... What's your gut reaction? And you looked back at me and you gave me the half smirk, pouty lipped, raised lip. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Oh, man. Okay. It's it's hard to know where to start with with this film. I I don't I don't hate the film. Um, It's fun, but. Okay, let's see how to <laughs> how to put this. Okay, if you think about, you know, other Stephen King stories and I mean, they don't necessarily have to be like super scary or anything. And I wasn't going in there looking for something that was like, you know, it caliber. Uh, uh obviously is a totally different thing. But it, it just felt very campy to me. Um, it felt like, like, uh, and we'll talk about this a little later, but it felt like it was way too bright at times. And I mean, and I don't just mean, you know, um, uh, in the feel of it, I mean, like it was literally too bright, you know, like I wish it was a, it was visually a darker film. Um, but also I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't buy, and we can talk about this too, but I didn't really by Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> this is the one of the first movies, and I, I think I told you this too. I told you this too when we got out to the car. Mm-hmm. This is one of the first movies where I thought this is good casting, and then, but I, in the same breath, I thought this should have been cast differently <laughs> <laughs> uh, because because you know I'm I'm a fan of Matthew McConaughey in in, in you know more serious roles, and uh, I think he's a great actor, and I love Idris Elba. Um, especially in stuff like this, like hero roles. Uh, and, and I, but at the same, so I was, it was glad to see them on, uh, on the screen like that. But at the same time, I thought, you know, well, I, I've just, I've seen Matthew 
in like some other stuff. I, I just didn't buy him as like the ruthless, horrible mm-hmm. man, man in black that just kills everyone and all all the time and what you know can make anybody do anything and they do horrible things. I just didn't buy him as that. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily because of his performance. I thought his performance was fine. It was, it was just I didn't buy him as that. It would have been mm. much more awesome if it was someone like the the guy from Viva Vendetta, Hugo Weaving. Yes, thank you. I'm mm. bad with names. <laughs> if it was someone like him, you know, who, who just he just looks like a bad guy in every role that he plays, besides Viva Vendetta, right. he's a bad guy, and he's even a bad guy in that one. But you don't really see his face. But still, it like you know, I just wish I was looking for something a little bit more. I don't know. How did you feel? You know, not too dissimilar. I, having read the book, and I haven't read it in a while, so I really only have an imprint of it, right? I don't remember all the beats of the story. I just remember kind of the, the feeling of it. And I remember, I mean, I watched it, and I've seen it twice, right? I saw it, and then I saw it again with you. But walking out that first time, I just remember feeling, I get it. It was a movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was a movie. And I can see that they were trying to appeal to a bigger market. Mm, yeah. But yeah. for me, knowing what it should have been, and I get that's the kind of running gag on adapting a novel. It's always going to be, well, the book was better, um, which can be the case personally if if we're talking like lord of the rings i think the movies are better than the books <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and so i don't think that's a that's a hardcore truth uh truism but in this case in particular it's because they went so far away from the source material comparatively like we're not going to go into details on these movies but it was akin to x-men origins wolverine instead of logan like tonally those are just completely different films and i'm not saying you can't like the x-men origins movie uh that's fine that might be your cup of tea but it's so watered down and it's so uh hyped up just for action that you're not really going to get anything emotionally out of it yeah you're not going to get submerged into this world the same way with logan you're dealing with an entire world and this film wanted to make a spaghetti western Instead of kind of a revenge western, um, like Unforgiven, right? That's a that's not a spaghetti western. I mean, that character might have been modeled after spaghetti westerns, but the movie itself is not. It's it's a completely different thing. And this and the book here is it's it's lonely. It's a long road. I mean, they had the wrong setup from the opening shot. They opened on this kind of blurry. Uh, tower reference it's not the tower but it's like a steeple or something and you find out oh we're on a playground oh we're on uh this mountaintop oh this is a really weird world with humanish people gathering up kids what the heck is going on and in the in the book if they would have started off right and i know one or two guys we've been talking about this every time the trailer would pop up or even when the news was underway that the production was happening. We were talking, you know, in private, like, dude, we're going to know what kind of, uh, if this is going to be a good series based on the very first shot. Mm-hmm. Does 
does he have the horn of Eld? And that's completely meaningless to anyone who hasn't read the book, I get. But it was going to be very telling of where this movie was going. And not only did they get... I mean, they kind of got that part right-ish, but they got it wrong because it wasn't the first shot. The very first shot should have been Roland walking in the desert, and we're discovering his world and trying to piece together where we are. This is a very simple case of they gave too much exposition right away. They withheld nothing from the audience. The whole time they withheld nothing. They they spelled everything out for you. And if you didn't if you didn't follow it, don't worry about it because they're gonna literally tell you in the script exactly what's happening the whole time. I felt like I was being talked down to as mm-hmm. a as a viewer. It just wasn't it yeah, it made me made me angry every time they explained something i'm not stupid i can follow a movie you know i can follow a story and if i'm not following it then i'm not paying attention close enough mm-hmm. so that makes me pay attention more you don't have to explain it to me absolutely and the the whole setup the very first sentence of the series is and they whisper it on screen uh for effect they're in they're in jake's dream slash vision and they say uh, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. That's the very first sentence of this book and of the series. And it's great. It sets the pace. It sets the tone. You know right away what's happening. And so they should have opened on Roland, crossing the desert, trying to survive. The first very large chunk of this book is him just trying to not die in the freaking desert. <laughs> wow. Imagine that as a film, right? That's, that's awesome. That's a completely different... <clears throat> Now it's it starts as a revenge and survival western. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you're dealing with the, the elements now, and you're also, gosh, it's so hard to figure out where to start because there's so many things wrong with this film. And so they start right with it is said the mind of a child can tear it uh, can tear down the tower. Right. Yeah. The tower holds the world together. Or whatever. In um, text. Yeah. yeah, and going once again into way too much exposition right away. That's stuff you need to be holding back for later in the movie. Save it up. Start on the personal story of, you know, revenge. Then you can reveal something much bigger is at stake later on. Yeah. And because of that, uh, so, I mean, for an, an analogy, right? If you're going to tell the, 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 the Bible, if you're going to turn the Bible into a movie or movies, it's a very big book. <laughs> yeah, that'd be one very long movie. <laughs> right. But if you're going to tell Genesis, you don't need to bring in revelations. Mm-hmm. This movie completely does that. It's bringing in stuff that's several books down the line into the first book because they think they need to wow the audience with spectacle. Whereas now you've not only failed to impress us, but you've lost your core crowd, which is the book lovers. Right. Why? Why is anybody going to hype this up now? You've you've. You've lost your word of mouth capability. For me, this was a growing up. I came from a you know not a very wealthy background, and I remember every Christmas I would want something. I didn't want a lot of things. I just wanted very nice things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In in junior high, yeah, a uh, big thing was Jerbodes. I don't know if this was oh, a yeah. thing. Yeah. All right. And we wanted. I wanted Jerbodes, and these are like you know seventy eighty dollar pants. And I told my mom, I told my aunt, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then get to Christmas Day, 
I unwrap faded glory and I'm like, <laughs> what just happened to my life? <laughs> I shouldn't have asked for Jabod. <laughs> shouldn't have oh done it. Oh my God. And that's how I feel. That's so the long version is that's how I felt walking out of this movie is I felt like I got faded glory when I was hoping for Jabod's. Yeah. Yeah. So frustrating because, and I get adapting a Stephen King novel is ripe with issues because I've, I've only read a handful of his books. I've read this series I read The Stand when I was a kid, and I read his book on writing, which is not a story. It's just him talking about how to write, <laughs> and, it's, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. Um, but he can be loopy. I've, I've watched a ton of his films. I didn't read his books, but growing up, I watched so many of his films. Uh, Stand By Me was a huge childhood influence. Everyone's in love with Shawshank Redemption, but I didn't get to that as a kid. It wasn't around then. I forgot he did that. Yeah. I, I actually didn't know oh that until God. you said it. But I grew up on Pet Cemetery, It, like you said earlier. Uh, sometimes they come back. Carrie, Firestarter, Needful Things, Sleepwalkers, The Lawnmower Man, Misery. Holy oh, crap, yeah. Misery. Yeah. Uh, the Running Man, Creep Show, Maximum Overdrive, so, so, Cujo, Salem's Lot. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, so why is it why is it tricky? Do you think to adapt? Because Be- so many so many other movies have, and they've been great. They've been great. the The key is knowing what Stephen Kingness to discard and what to enhance. Yeah, because he's gonna go so hard into his character development and to his characters' worlds that. It, people themselves are loopy your internal thought processes can get a little weird and a little strange and he likes to really explore that with these kooky phrases that you know if you were to hang around me for you know more than a day you you start hearing me refer to things as chicken Mm -hmm. (laughs) right that's a loopy thing that if you wrote that into a novel and suddenly started putting that into a movie, you're just going to be like, that's just weird and it's dumb. Yeah. It's hokey. And he does a lot of those kinds of things in his books. And so kind of finding the line of what should make it to the screen and what should be held back is a very fine line because it's that other stuff. It's the, the clown in the, in the sewer that's may on paper sound kooky, but it's like, holy crap, that's terrifying. Yeah. And they just completely botched it. Well, they went to a a whole different level, right? So it was like, it's not, hey, do we include the chicken? It's, (laughs) it's like, let's, let's tell the story in, in a totally different way than what he meant. He meant uh, a, a much more like, like, um, uh, important feeling uh, vibe, uh, it, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. He meant something that should have been darker. He meant something that should have been, uh, I get I, to hold back a little bit more. Like that's what he meant, and it, they did not do that. Absolutely, we're gonna. And it's funny because walking out, I we didn't really hit on this very hard, and I didn't really put any notes in here about that. But again and again, it's gonna keep coming back to they put too much on screen they didn't hold enough back because whenever you get to explore those personal moments the scale of the world actually grows Mm -hmm. and to that effect i mean you had a really great uh, rant about the way they treated the man in black oh man yeah so i if you've listened to any of the podcasts that we've done before i have a real problem a serious problem with movies that are supposed to feel important being too bright right and characters being lit 
totally incorrectly. Um, shots being way too like, uh, revealing way too much. I feel like Matthew McConaughey could have been really good in this role. And that's why I thought that this was cast really well. It was shot poorly. Um, meaning like the angles were poorly, the lighting was, was poor, uh, by poor, I mean too much. So you see too much of his face all the time. Um, you see, and when it's, when you see him, you see all of him, you see like his whole body from his waist up. There's nothing that's hidden at all. There's nothing that's like mysterious. He's the, the man in black. And he's in a very dark world. Like there needs to be something hidden. Like if you only, if you always only see half his face or something for whatever reason, or it's always like super close up. So you only see pieces of, of, you know, his shoulder. I don't know, whatever. Absolutely. You know, like that, that would make him more mysterious. That would make him more serious, more threatening because when he does something, he kills the kid's mom. I felt nothing. You know, I felt something when the kid found that out and he was acting, the kid was a good actor Mm -hmm. and he was, and he was acting like, like, you know, he, his mom got killed. Um, I felt it from him. I didn't feel it from the film. I didn't feel it, um, that she was in danger necessarily when he was standing next to her. I I just, because it was just done poorly, he was done. He was, his character was revealed way too much. Yeah. It felt like they kind of took the the shot list from a Marvel universe, you know, film and said, yeah, let's just apply, let's copy paste and an older shoot one. Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying exactly the things you're talking about, who is the man in black? Let's talk about this thematically. Let's talk about this specifically. Where is he from? What's his aim? What, how does he interact with people? Mm-hmm. How does he sneak up upon people? All these things can inform the way you, frame them, light them. Because if you start doing the things that Todd is talking about here, uh, he's, he's evil. He's, I mean, he's not omnipotent, but he's powerful. And so you start saying, okay, so powerful, evil. Yeah. Maybe we do want to conceal that. Maybe we want to frame them tight instead of these wide mediums. Um, and sometimes just straight up wides. Yeah. (laughs) Let's, let's do that. Let's, Cloak him a little bit. That makes him smaller, right? Like it makes him smaller in the in the grand in the whole picture. If mm-hmm. they're they're way back, right? Let's make him huge, important, like right? Super close up, like really on him, so that he it takes up the entire screen. When you're seeing it in a theater and the screen is gigantic, he is the whole screen. He is in your face, and it is it it's real and serious. And but like I when I can see the entire room he's in. It just He's small makes him in the small. frame now, yeah. and why should we be scared of this guy? And so what they're trying to do, I think, is they want to demonstrate the power of his words, but they do it randomly somewhat, like that moment where he passes a little girl on a bench and he says, hate. And it's such a erratic use of evil power that we never get to see the fruition of. It's not like we run into that little girl and their mom later and she stabbed her to death or something. Right. Um, we never really get to see the fruition of that. We just get the sense that, oh, he just doesn't care about people. All right, well, this is in screenwriting terms, that's called kicking the dog. Hmm. It's where you try to do something very basic that shows, oh, this is a bad guy. 
oh, okay, let them kick the dog. You know, it's such a <laughs> such a ham-fisted way of that's, revealing that's character. That that's a thing. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. Or sad that that's a thing. That's true. And then you have that moment. There is one moment that I really liked where he kills uh, the the husband, right, oh, to right, yeah. the, the kid's mom, his stepdad, if you will. And then she starts to yell and he says, quiet. Oh. And her performance in that moment is like, oh. Yes. Oh, that was you good. You have my attention. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was a great moment. And then shortly thereafter, they uh, they crop his mouth out whenever he's talking to her. And he's, he's feeding her all this information or uh, direction. And you can't see his eyes. You just see his mouth in her face. And that's... Awesome. That's what I'm talking that's about. That's fantastic. Like yeah. that's great filmmaking. That's well thought out because now you're doing things that say what this guy is and where his powers are. They should have been doing that the whole time though. And then you can save a reveal for later in the movie. And that's just for this iteration of the movie. If they had done it the way they should have done it, you really don't get to see the man in black almost at all until the very late in the second act and the third act. And then the, what I was really excited for was watching these two guys go through this moment because at the end of this film, what you're supposed to have is a, uh, a palaver where these two Roland Deschain, the gunslinger lays on the beach with the man in black around a campfire and they sit and they talk for hours and hours. And it's, it sounds really anticlimactic until you start hearing this conversation and the visuals the book starts giving you because the man in black is defending his worldview that the tower must fall and they're having it out right here in a conversation and I'll read uh, a small snippet because that's in this book it's in this book they don't save it for the thing you said you didn't want to tell me yeah this is that is a whole different thing. Uh, by read, the way, I haven't read the book. so <laughs> Right. And I'll just read you a small snippet. And this is the man in black speaking. You see, size defeats us. For the fish, the lake in which he lives is the universe. What does the fish think when he is jerked up by the mouth through the silver limits of existence and into a new universe where the air drowns him and the light is blue madness? Where huge bipeds with no gills stuff it into suffocating box and cover it with wet weeds to die. Or one might take the tip of a pencil and magnify it. One reaches the point where a stunning realization strikes home. The pencil tip is not solid. It is composed of atoms which whirl and revolve like a trillion demon planets. What seems solid to us is actually only a loose net held together by gravity. Viewed at their actual size, the distances between these atoms might become league, gulfs, eons. The atoms themselves are composed of nuclei and revolving protons and electrons. One may step down further to subatomic particles. And then to what? Tachyons? Nothing? Of course not. Everything in the universe denies nothing. To suggest an ending is the one absurdity. And it goes on and on. Like, there's still several more points, but it's just this beautiful prose that I would have loved to have hear come out of Matthew McConaughey's freaking mouth. 
Yeah. I mean, go watch True Detective if you think he can't deliver something like this. Oh, absolutely. He is brilliant. And watching him and Roland go at it, because Roland isn't having any of it. He's still stuck in his worldview until the very end. Um, and it's it's amazing. So that's one moment that was stricken for me, because at that point, Roland starts to experience these things that he's talking about. And the visuals completely degrade the uh, the beach and suddenly he's in the universe and he's experiencing the the scale of the universe that the man in black is going on and on about and so we're robbed of that moment we're also robbed of the very heart of this book is between Roland and Jake and they try to kind of communicate they try to communicate that in the movie but they have it backwards in this movie Jake is the main character Right. And that's really frustrating because Jake doesn't really have an arc. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have any arc, whereas they have this crappy, and this is one of the ineffective filmmaking things I was going to talk about, was the weak... Just one of them. <laughs> Just one of them. Um, Roland has a weak character arc. He goes from vengeful uh, to protective and dutiful, right? So he's a he has a big change in motivation. He's In the film, he's forgotten the face of his father his purpose and his oath, but he remembers it once again, you know, at the end of the film by rescuing Jake and by watching Jake's transformation um, because they kind of experience that thing together, right? Uh, they both have their parents die. Um, in the beginning, we see that crappy flashback uh, between Roland and his father and his father being killed by uh, the man in black. And then later on, we have the death of the mom. Um, and I completely agree that Jake is great. Those flashbacks are terrible. Watching yeah. those really hokey, uh, especially with the mom's death, watching those flashbacks, I'm like, oh, God, just let the boy perform here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we get it. Um, or do it better, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> but it just didn't work. They're trying to deepen their backstory and add dimensionality, and it doesn't work at all. And so... If they had done it right, we have Roland still trying to go through this this character arc because in the book, you see exactly how driven he is because he sacrifices Jake in the book. Jake dies and he lets him die because he is more concerned with going after the man in black than he is with Jake's welfare. What? What a character revelation. How incredible is that? And you... What is the shit they gave... I'm sorry. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> what did they give us... What did they give us in this film, then? They it, gave us none of that. There is an incredible journey that Roland goes on that we were denied. And it's wildly frustrating. Because at this point, the series isn't going to finish. They made a very watered-down, generic film that stripped away anything that could have been meaningful. And they gave us popcorn movie that they were trying to engage and hit their demographics, if you will. Um, and so they messed up the entrance. And I hate to break it to you, but the books don't get better as they go. Mm. <laughs> they get more complicated and more loopy, which was going to require much more like going back to adapting a Stephen King novel. Of write, finding that line, writing the the train of what should stay and what should go. If you can't even get it right with this film, 
you're not going to get better as the, as the series Got progresses. Yeah. And that tells me we're not going to see the end of this series. We may not even see the next book. So has Stephen King actually directed anything? I don't know. I, I don't and know that not, I would want him to. I don't know, man. Why not? Uh, I guess for me, the the nail in his filmmaking coffin is the worst adaptation, according to him, was The Shining. He thinks The Shining is like a terrible movie. He thinks it's he thinks it's awful, and he's like, "This is not as good as the book." Wow. Okay, never mind. <laughs> like, if you can say Stanley Kubrick's genre redefining masterpiece is a terrible movie, then I love stick to writing. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do Touche. 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 I just, I just wonder, you know, like it, it, how much say writers have in what their book adaptation is going to be like, you know, like in, in the, in, I'm sure he's read, he read the screenplay, right? Probably. I yeah. mean, how do you read that screenplay and then say, yeah, make this, yeah. make my book into this shit. Who I really kind of blame, not only you always have to blame the director. So Nicolaj, Arsol, you're you're in the crapper as far as I'm concerned, but also put Ron Howard on the, the line because he's been trying to get this made for going on a decade at least. Um, and so if you've been working this hard to get this project going and this is what you allow under your, I don't okay. know if he's a producer or an executive producer, but under your watch, then buddy, you, you screwed up and along with, and this is the one I think most people are teeing up on is uh, Akiva Goldsman who was the one of the screenwriters and helmers of the project and he's apparently has a history of uh pooping on projects wow <laughs> i cannot believe that that is not the story we got at all at all there's this personal thing this journey that i want to see that movie me too it's, uh, everything you just said that happens in the book i want to see that movie now I really want to see that movie. Like, can we remake this? Like, like they remake Spider-Man every four <laughs> years or something. Can we please do somebody out there with money, which is obviously not us. Can you please find a way to actually make this real movie? Can Oh, let's let's can someone make a short, just make one, one little scene of this movie. Just like one little scene of how this movie really should be. Right. A three minutes long. That's it. There's no reason. I don't think I mean, I guess I've never worked with million dollar budgets, but I would think I feel like I could make this on a five million dollar budget, uh, make this movie the way it should be made. And it would be a lot of hot days for casting crew. You're in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's drama driven and you get small moments of special effects. I mean, they still do travel to New York. Um, some of those beats are still in there, but the, the one thing, one of the few things I liked that they did was they built that set of whatever that was, the, the amusement park. All right. Like they, they physically built that and that's the way you should be treating, I think films in general, uh, not relying on, you know, CGI, but build stuff. Uh, yeah. and that was, that was really great. That monster scene with, and right at that point fantastic that was yes. incredible effects uh which i think they blew their budget on there because <laughs> after that it gets a little little shaky yeah yeah um that also really love the uh there's this tiny moment 
whenever he's in the gun shop and he's taking everything and he's walking, I guess, in the in the back room and Randall, uh, not Randall Flagg, uh, Walter, uh, the man in black. He has a lot of names, by the way. Um, the man in black is floating backwards and it's a it's a two shot. You're pretty tight. You have a two shot with these guys both in frame almost nose to nose and we're just tracking with them. Oh yes. I remember this. And he's just floating backwards the whole time. Uh, and it's probably a six second shot maybe. And Roland is limping, uh, but he's floating. And that was it. That was the only moment we really get to see of nuance powers really. Um, and they screwed so much else up though. There's this shot where, and I get it's an action film. You can do things for the sake of uh, creating a cool shot or uh, exaggerating some of the action. But it, to me, it just didn't make sense for this film and for this world whenever, like, Roland at one point is off screen, but we hear him hit a guy and he goes flying through the doorway, across the room, and into the wall. Roland's just a dude. He's not that strong. Yeah. He's not a Superman. And then shortly after that, they have a, a scene where uh, a sequence, Roland jumps from one, second floor down to the first floor, and he effectively flies across the room while he's doing it and basically lands on his feet and hits a guy. And I think that was just bad editing, and or maybe the editor didn't have... A really good, you need yeah, yeah, and that happens. Um, the se- that sequence was just really weird and wonky. Um, and they also have this shot where they're fighting in a bus that's some really bad compositing. He's fighting uh, Jackie O'Haley, who I thought was great. Um, they fall from a roof and through the front of a bus window, and it was just like, wait, what's happening? And that's yeah. kind of the campy stuff you're talking about. Yeah, it's like, what? Come on, guys. This, you're not selling it. If you want to do it, I guess, but you're going to have to sell it a lot better. At least, I don't know, maybe let them hit the ground first. But even then, they're just people. They die when they hit the ground from falling six stories up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I felt like this movie relied way too much on the action and less on the story. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I loved your idea of how about the first opening shot be rolling in the, in the desert? And then we just find out, li- like, we don't know why or who he is or where he's going or where he's coming from or what's going on. But we start finding out these little things over the next few minutes that kind of answer questions without telling us the answer. It just kind of, like, it reveals yeah. itself. Like, you know, having having an hour and a half, two-hour movie where that happens constantly is enough, almost, Um uh, I mean, there's a lot of films I feel that are that rely too heavily on action instead of, you know, the tension being the action, mm-hmm. you know, and I th- this could have been very tense. I mean, especially in the end, if he if he lets Jake die. That's it's hard. Just like- that could have been such an such a well done moment. And yeah, I felt. They, yeah, sure. they completely shot themselves in the foot. And so I will say there is one other moment that, I mean, at least one, I'm sure there's several moments that I was like, Oh, that's kind of nice. But the one, there is a scene where the, the raid is happening in the town and Jake is being dragged off and the audio drowns out where yeah. we finally get to experience uh, the head space of the gunslinger. 
and the audio drowns out. You know, we just have a heartbeat. We can hear his heartbeat. And the we have all these little detail sounds. The blood drops. Uh, there's a wrench that's kind of hanging that lightly bangs against a pole that it's hanging from. And all the screams and the yells uh, are hollow and echoey and distant. And everything is slow motion as he's dialing in exactly where this guy is that he needs to kill. And all of that is accented the moment the hero fires the gun. We go from all the slow motion and uh, vague noise to quick cuts, sharp sound. Uh, you hear the bullet whipping by and whipping through things and through this guy's skull. Yeah. And it's like a great moment. Yes. Because suddenly our hero looks and feels like a badass. Mm-hmm. It's like they only studied certain moments of the script to say, you know what? This looks like a cool moment. Let's do something for that. Yeah. Instead of actually analyzing the, uh, the tone of the film itself. Because they never, they never figured out, or at least never tried to figure out, what should this movie be texturally? Uh, what should we be exploring thematically? It was just... It was sloppy. It felt like, oh, finally we can get a movie made. Let's just make a movie. You, would you have been okay with him as the gunslinger maybe firing five, six shots the whole film? I would have been totally okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it would have... It, I mean, instead of, you know, like just killing everyone and everything with his gun, like if there, if, if he only did had like five shots with his gun, less, fewer, and they were all like that, Mm -hmm. that makes him so much more of a badass than all of the shootout scenes that, uh, or all the, all the shots that he had that he killed everybody with and all that stuff. Just paring that down to a few. And so that, like these are these are his weapons, but you know, I don't know. It, it, it would make him more of a badass that he didn't need it until he needed it, and when he needs it, you're dead, right? Kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, that, that would have been interesting too. I completely I agree. Mean, I think a lot of this po- this podcast, this episode, is really just us exploring how we would have made the film <laughs> <laughs> instead of Nicolaj, uh, but. <laughs> No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there's a lot you can learn from movies, even mediocre movies, because this is just an okay movie. This yeah. is nothing that someone's going to be like, oh, man, did you see X, Y, Z? And I think what they tried to do was, what are the most interesting concepts of this universe? Let's let's dive into that and try to pull in our audience with the idea that there's a tower that's holding the universe together or whatever. Instead of just relying on, you know what, we can make a great movie, and if nothing else happens after that, that's fine, but we're at least going to tell this story because it's a very interesting story. And they just betrayed themselves and the fan base in the process. Mm. And that really... I wonder if anyone who's read the book actually is has seen this movie and, and thinks, yeah, it was good. I, oh, can, right. I can't imagine from that what either. you told me about what the book is has in it that I can't imagine that. But going back to your case, but. your point about the the casting, I mean, Idris Elba is fantastic, and there was a lot of backlash about casting him in this role. Why? Because in the book he's white, and before, and I understand their issue because this isn't a normal. Oh, the the race of the character means nothing to the to the film, as. 
the series progresses, the character's race does play a, a, a role in the universe and other characters that come into play. A very significant role. But that doesn't mean you can't make this work and there's other interesting avenues to explore with having Roland be a black character. There's very interesting things to explore. And so I, I had no issue with it, obviously. I, I'm, anytime you can get Idris Elba in a film, I'm going to be like, cool, let's yeah, do that. <laughs> right, right. Um, he needs to be 007. That's all. Yes, 100%. Yeah. There's not a smoother man on the planet. Yeah. Um, and he was fantastic. Maybe Tom Hardy. Ooh. You hear that, Tom? <laughs> do you hear that? He's sticking up for you pretty hard right now. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> Sorry, interrupt. Keep going. <laughs> but he was amazing. And I I never really understand, I guess, uproar over black characters. Like, the, there was a lot of backlash whenever it was being floated that Idris would play 007. Yeah. Like, he's a fictional character. What does it really matter? This isn't, this isn't like, you know, we have a bunch of Egyptians and we're going to put white people as Egyptians. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I understand when all the white people get upset about that. Right. right? Okay. Right. I'm, I'm getting off a little bit. It's but, okay. It's okay. I feel you. But this is one of those times where it's like, okay, I actually understand some of the backlash, but let's trust a little bit that there's still room to explore and make it interesting. I thought Matthew McConaughey was great, but all the stuff that we've talked about is what really hurt his character. Yeah. Um, this isn't something that he couldn't play off of. Uh, the problem is you suddenly have him doing these weird, terrible visual effects of levitating glass and throwing things. And those, those effects were just hokey and corny. They didn't play. You don't buy into the world at that point, the way they executed it. And I think it still really has a lot to do with what you're talking about using all these wide angles. Like they don't know how to sell character or their effects like that's yeah really frustrating um and i thought the kid was great but you know what i thought a lot of the rest of the actors jackie earl, earl haley was really good but the mom and dad i i'm not familiar with those actors so i don't know if they're just not great actors but and i'm just going to blame the director in this case i felt like the script was very flat and they had these one dimensional characters. I'm the dad and I'm just going to be mad at the son all the time. And, um, on the, on the mom and I'm just confused and I don't, I don't believe him. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. And so I just felt like they were indicating a lot. Like, yeah. And that sucks. I mean, these guys probably were really excited about taking on a film. I get to be in a scene with freaking Matthew McConaughey and, yeah. um, who wrote this script? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Who approved the script? <laughs> like, what's going on right now? Yeah, I felt like I felt like it, it was just you know reciting lines. Yeah, you know, and yeah. not even good ones. So, not even good ones. I think that's what. I'm. I mean, you, you've been actually in this this uh, episode been doing a really good job about finding like some good stuff. Working in the film, I have not. Normally, I find some good you things. Do, yeah. And um, I got. I don't have anything. Uh, you know, like I said, I it, it's an entertaining film, I guess. Uh, but it's if you've seen a, the book, yeah. you, I mean, if you read the book, you, you're gonna hate it. And because those moments of action when Roland is like going off, like all that gunplay, the way he's reloading his bullets, like yeah, is incredible. Yes, they found a lot of really inventive ways. Because I had a really hard time reading the book. I was like, I don't understand if you have a revolver, how you're gonna reload fast enough to take on all these 
people that are coming at you right now. Right. But they visually figured it out. And I was like, man, that is when he rolls the revolver across his belt and to fill it up. That is really, really awesome. Yeah. Bad. That was really badass. Um, and whenever he flips it open and just like drops the bullets in, really in it, yeah, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Um, and so they, they do have some moments that are like, oh, that's really cool. But they just forgot to surround it in a meaningful story. <laughs> yeah. And I know they're not necessarily quote unquote human, both both he and and the man in black. Um, are they? I think in they the are. are. I they think human? they're. Is it just a d- another world, but they're human? It's an alternate. Okay. I well, think, yeah. Th- the whole time I felt, I felt like, they, I mean, they did not per- portray Matthew McConaughey as human. They At portrayed all. him as a, uh, I mean, he's supposed to be a quote unquote sorcerer, but they, I, the whole time I felt he was kind of like this, like God almost, you know? Yeah. Which he's, he's obviously not. And knowing that in the book they have that, um, that conversation, uh, that long conversation, it's like that, that is what humanizes them. If they're both sitting down across from each other and they're talking, telling their own point of view, like if he's a, if he's a God, that's never going to happen. If he's a sorcerer, that's probably never going to happen, which it didn't in this book. But if he's a human who just happens to be like maybe a little bit telepathic, can do a few things here or there. Um, and, and Idris is just, all he is is really good with guns. Like, okay, you know, you each have your thing, but you're still fallible, you know? I didn't feel like Roland, I mean, not Roland, but uh, I didn't feel like the man in black was fallible at all until he got shot at the end. Absolutely, right? I mean, you're seeing him... He's not humanized. At all. Yeah. At all. And that's... I mean, just stack up the, all the frustrations, I guess. But yeah, there's there's room for that because if you can, and I know it sounds like a boring ending to have two people talking, but that's what would make it an exciting film. Is one, it doesn't feel as boring because of the way the film has gone. It's been a journey instead of an action film. It's it's a it's more of a drama, old western with moments of action and. And that's one of the things that would make this a unique and special film is to have a climax that's in dialogue. Um, that's two, two amazing actors going at it and one delivering uh, an incredible monologue. And that would stand out. That would really stand apart, you know, experientially going to a movie and being wowed by these visuals in an old Western like you're able to deliver something that's very special and unique that you wouldn't get anywhere else. I can't think off the top of my head. I don't know any other film that has a climax or an ending in this way. Mm-hmm. That would be a really interesting take. And it's not that there's no action. There's, there are other uh, climactic moments, um, but it's all about the man in black testing Roland and ultimately Roland failing those tests. Yeah. Being fallible, being human. That's Man, I would have loved to have seen that. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, what would you give this film out of 10? Ooh, out of 10? A 5? Hmm. I mean, it's it's generous, I guess. It's like, pretty generous. Yeah, but there's there's redeemable moments. Yeah. I a 5 star movie though out of 10 is something that I yeah, would never watch again though. And so, good point. It was watchable. But not rewatchable. <laughs> okay, you brought me up 
from a four and a half to five. <laughs> I'll give it a five. There were some other, you know, like some some funny moments when uh, uh, Roland is on Earth, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fun, some of the things he says and when he's in the hospital. What, what are the things he says to the oh he gives her a, a coin he says for your troubles or oh, something yeah, for your services for your services it's <laughs> <laughs> like, just like some random coin just like how they do in, in westerns where they just like you know f- flick a, a coin on the on the table and oh yeah that's that's how much this drink <laughs> cost is this coin two bits <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a sack of coins for the for the lady I, I don't know right um that was pretty funny that was good and what's great his delivery is so deadpan he never yeah. ever indicates that this is funny or humorous whatsoever um and that's why i mean he's so good yeah yeah so there there are these little humorous moments and what was funny is afterwards when we were talking you're like man those are the moments i enjoyed the most which is not good if you're making an action movie <laughs> or a stephen king movie because he doesn't really write comedy right no. he's not a comedian no because you look at his best movies to me right are he can write character. His best movies are dramas. Stand By Me, Shawshank Redemption, uh, The Green Mile, Hearts mm-hmm. in Atlantis is an amazing film. And it's very small. And it involves... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but it has a, a very young Anton Yelkin, the late Anton Yelkin. Um, go back and watch this movie and it'll break your heart for that we lost this guy. Um, but he can write great character if you just... Allow yourself to take that character seriously. Yeah. So, is that going to be your your, uh, no, your suggestion? It's not, no. For this one? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to recommend this week uh, Stephen King's On Writing. If, mm. Even if you don't want to be a writer, reading this book will make you want to be a writer. Oh, awesome! It's so good because you hear all these anecdotes about his his process. The first half of the book is him just talking about the early days of writing in the wastelands, basically, where no one liked his work. He was getting rejected. He tells a story about he would submit pieces to magazines and publishers and get rejection letters back. He started putting these rejection letters on a nail that hung above his door. So every time he got a new rejection letter in the mail, he'd walk in his room and stick it onto the nail. And then at a certain point, he got so many of these rejection letters, the nail was falling off the, the wall. He couldn't hold it on anymore. Um, he got rejected so much, but he just kept using it to yeah. create. And that's one of the things that every time I get a rejection note from a film festival or, or think I just make something that isn't as good as I want to make it, I mentally stick it up on that nail post. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, that's okay. It's part of the... It's part of the charge. This yeah. is the fee part you pay walk. to mm. being good. Yeah. Pay your freaking fee and go be good. Yeah. That's so read awesome. this book. That's I think great. it's great. It's funny. I'm actually going to suggest a book too. Um, uh, of Mice and Men. Because it's very short. Uh, so it doesn't require a lot from you. Um, and the first time I ever read this book, I didn't read it. My wife read it to me. And my, I was driving, we were driving to Houston and from Austin and, and she had this book and she read it to me and it's, you know, it's the story, it's the story you've heard a couple of, you know, several times before, but it's just, it's so, it's so well written. It just shows you that you can fall in love and hate 
characters very quickly. Um, and, and, uh, if it's a, a story that's written, written really well, it doesn't need to be 250 pages. I think it's like a hundred pages or something might be less. Yeah. It's pretty short. Yeah. It might be uh, like 60 John pages. Steinbeck. Yeah. Steinbeck. Yeah. Steinbeck. Yeah. So of mice and men. Excellent recommendation, man. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. And so that pretty much wraps it up next week. Tune in. We're going to be doing David Fincher's the social network. Oh, I can't wait. I love this movie and rewatching it. I found all these cool things that they're doing in their movie um, between Aaron Sorkin and Fincher. They're doing some really freaking cool things. Awesome. And I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So am I. That's great. And don't forget to subscribe um, and review us on iTunes. It's kind of weird. You actually have to, you can't just pull us up in the app and be like, Oh, I'll rate and review this. You actually have to run a search in the search box because they don't put the review, uh, the rating system in the, the regular podcast section. You have to pull it up in the search box. Once you pull up the pestle in the search box, then you can <laughs> rate and review us. Oh, man. But I'd really, we'd really appreciate we really it if you appreciate do that. It. Because those are the kinds of things that helps you get noticed in iTunes itself. And that's the, that's that's the, the goal. Yeah. Absolutely. You can find some notes. I'll put up some interesting tidbits here and there, um, along with our recommendations at thepestlepodcast.com slash the dark tower. And we'll leave you with the quote of the day. Uh, Wes, you picked this one. I, I really enjoy this. Thank you for letting me read this. It's by Stephen King, the man himself. Monsters are real and the ghosts are real too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. Oh, I got shivers. My God. Dude is good. He's so good. Man can write. Mm. Make make better movies of this guy's stuff. Come Please. on, guys. Please. <laughs> somebody somebody make a short of the Dark Tower and uh, uh, shoot us the, the link when you post it. Do that. Uh, please. Absolutely. I want to see it. Do it right. Do it right. Please. Maybe we should do it. Maybe we should. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Um, and join us next week when we do the social network. And until then, this is Todd. This is Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.